Okay, I'm on my AirPods. Does that sound remarkably worse? Yes. Do we need to do an official intro on this thing, like people have been asking, or do we just have we already done it? Hello, everyone. Welcome to another uh, Bonsai Wire podcast. Today, Andrew Robson and I are going to be talking about what we thought of the past year in Bonsai and what we're looking forward to in the coming year for Bonsai. We're both very excited about a lot of things next year, but there are a few things to feel good about this past year, and I know. Andrew, you have had insanely exciting progress on your garden, for instance. Yeah, my garden this time last year, I had a greenhouse and gravel, and that was <laughs> that was about it. So now I have benches, I have shade cloth, uh, I have a lot of landscape plants. Um, so, and I have a lot of trees, uh, and so that's all um, pretty exciting. Uh, it was a really really busy year. Um, but it was it was really good. It, it's you know really the first year of the garden, and so it's it's been fun to watch it kind of evolve and progress. On that note, it's kind of funny to mention you have benches. How many of your trees are on benches right now? There's currently no trees on benches. <laughs> if, if we're talking about places outside of the greenhouse, um, the greenhouse has a few benches, and that's pretty packed full, uh, both on the bench and off the bench uh, and I have some things in the studio because we've had some cold weather here in Portland um, but um, yeah outside the benches are totally empty I, I we were thankfully able to leave them up until right around Christmas this year uh, which is pretty long usually we take down around Thanksgiving um, but uh, yeah we got a few extra weeks of trees on the benches which is always nice it's always when we put things away for winter it's always like the most depressing time in a bonsai garden for me to just look out and see the benches like totally empty and so it's it's fun to go in a greenhouse you know they're all packed together and you get to see a lot of stuff in a short amount of space which is fun but uh, I, I do miss things on the benches you'd also mentioned uh, a couple weeks ago andrew visited my garden and he was noticing the stark difference between a primarily conifer garden to a primarily deciduous garden and how full of life gardens can actually look this time of year. <laughs> yeah it, it's super it, there are a few interesting contrasts between our two places my, my my yard is relatively large and spread out and um while that's that can be nice and it gives the tree some space um I do feel there's something more relevant about bonsai when they're um, in a really tight space. It, it makes them feel, um, I don't know, it makes them feel more uh, present or something like that. Uh, and I even think bonsai in an urban environment, you're, in Alameda, you're much more urban than I am kind of here in the suburbs of, of Portland. And uh, that also, I, you know, you could walk out and have city, you know, 10, foot, 10 feet away from your, your bonsai. And I think, I don't know. I, I, I like I like those things. Um, so it's, it's fun to get out and, and see different gardens because you pick up a lot of different things. It's an interesting where you use relevant in a smaller garden. And that really calls to mind that in general, bonsai suggests larger forms, whether they're perfect miniaturizations or just small representations of some of the more grand designs or patterns we see in nature. And it's funny that it, that idea pops up when thinking about bonsai in a small space, let alone an urban space is it offers more of that suggestion of something else and how appropriate to have that suggestion when you are surrounded by block after block of houses. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, it gives, I don't know, it gives you a little portal portal to a wild place when you're in a really busy kind of urban environment, which is nice. 
It's very well manicured, uh, wild place. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Here where I am, you know, I, I'm in the suburbs of Portland. We have a lot of old trees around me. I'm, I'm surrounded by like hundred year old oak trees. And so it's like, you see an old, old bonsai on a bench and then you see an old oak tree and it's, it's not that stark contrast as, you know, like a city kind of life to a, well, to it's a bonsai. Funny. We have a lot of hundred plus year old oak trees in Alameda as well, but they're live oaks. And so they have a much different form and the trees are a lot shorter. So it doesn't feel like you're driving through, you know, country as much as uh, it, it's, it's everything's on kind of a smaller, more compact scale with those trees. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so you've had some construction this year, too. Um, we can we can hear some of that right now. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, I'm a year behind you. No, actually, yeah, a little more than a year behind you in yeah. uh, the construction. But yeah, adding a basement to the house. So this has been an interesting winter in that there will be. The bedroom is now the living room and I have no heat all winter long. So I'm getting really used to wearing uh, coats <laughs> indoors this winter. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're getting some Portland or, or some, some Northwest kind of, kind of weather down there. Exactly. And okay. so it's making me really excited about the coming year because I think this coming year will be, it's one of the most, I mean, I've been doing bonsai almost 30 years now, and I think this will be one of the more interesting, exciting, and challenging years of all of them. Why is that? Because there's a lot of stuff going on. Uh, I'm just living through a big construction project is just a big demand on time. And so that makes time in the garden that much more precious. And so it'll be really exciting. Um, a big reason why I'm doing this work is really to facilitate classes at the house and as well as the rest of the business. And so I'll have a lot more space to do things that I want to do downstairs, which will be great. Uh, so that's, that's exciting to know that I feel like we're setting ourselves up for the future. Uh, there's big changes in my garden as well. And we've got, of course, the Pacific Bonsai Expo coming up. And that has been surprisingly... <laughs> There's a lot of details that we've got to cover for that. Uh, just this week, I've been talking to the county about requirements for out-of-state vendors and out-of-state exhibitors. So uh, Eric and I are now putting together a kind of a chart that will give people an idea of what species are and aren't allowed or what kind of paperwork will be required, paperwork and or treatments, depending on the species. Interesting. What, what were any, did any species stick out on that? You know, I don't have it off the top of my head. In general, most everything will be allowed. Most everything will require a phytosanitary certificate. So we're just going to encourage everyone to get a phytosanitary certificate. So call up the county, have someone come and inspect the plant and then get that paperwork. And that'll be the best document for getting things into the state. Great. Under the and pine section, there was one thing that was a big surprise. There are a lot of limitations, or at least a handful of limitations on which pines can come into California, but in the state code, there's literally an exemption for bonsai pine. Interesting. I couldn't have made that up. I <laughs> was really happy to see it. I think yeah, yeah. You, uh, the exempt species, you get up to three exemptions per person, something like that. That's great. Yeah. So nothing really stood out. You know, they're more concerned about fruiting and flowering trees. I think almonds might sure. be forbidden. It's, you know, it's that kind of thing, but we're, we're yeah, in the middle of putting yeah. that together. They list everything by pathogen or pest, and we want to list it all by species because yeah. we don't want to see the same tree on 10 lists. We just want to see one list. What do you have to do for species X, Y, or Z, depending on what state you're coming from? 
Yeah. And we'll probably do a whole podcast and you'll do yeah. blog posts and, and whatnot about that. So that'll be, that'll be fun to learn because it is, it is a little, there's, it is a little bit of a hurdle to, to get yeah. a tree in, in, in the California. It is. And so, and I've experienced that every time I take trees out of California, I have to go through this exact process when I come back. So every time I have vended out of state, whether in Oregon, Washington, New York, and altogether, I've done that plenty of times. It's the exact same process I've always gone through. So I'm used to it and I know it, that there's a workable system for that, which is nice. Yeah, great. But it's just, it's just part of the puzzle of the overall excitement for this year. I'm kind of letting all of these big events be kind of a transition for everything I'm doing in bonsai, both for the types of classes I teach, for the kind of trees I have in the garden, and for really how I want to spend my time uh, for the next couple of years, at least the coming year. Yeah. So what does that look like? I mean, what are, besides the crazy construction, what's, what's going on at your place bonsai wise right now? So Andrew came down for those of you who don't know and visited the garden a couple of weeks ago, month ago, something like that. And, and I told him something funny as we were talking about the garden, I said, I'm really good at letting someone else be an excuse to tell me something I already know, but I'll let them be the excuse to actually do it. Uh -huh. And so Andrew said, well, if you don't have time to work on your best trees, what are you doing with all those other trees in the garden? And I said, yeah, good point. I ask myself that all the time. And yeah. so I let that be an excuse to start radically reducing the trees in the backyard. And I think I've already moved probably four, three to 400 young trees out of the garden, 150 pots out of the garden, and maybe half a dozen to a dozen, oh, more like a dozen bonsai and pre-bonsai. Wow. Which is, and that's literally just in the last three, four weeks. <laughs> yeah. So it, I'm sure, like, do you think if I came today, it would look different than when I was there a month ago? It would look night and day different for one simple reason that when you showed up, I hadn't weeded in a month and all the <laughs> fertilizer bags were on every tree. So I think yeah. uh, within days of you leaving, I'd cleaned up most of the weeds, every single fertilizer bag, and just rearranged all the plants on the table. So all the smaller, younger sale items are all in the same spot. So yeah, I'd say the garden looks radically different than when you were here. And, <laughs> and it'll and, hopefully look just as different uh, three, four weeks from now. Okay. And um, are you are, are you still kind of moving with it? Or are you like, I, this is good, I'm, I'm done? Oh, every... Every like how, where, where are you in the process? Feels, oh, every step feels like a huge victory. Yeah, it's like if I can liberate bench space, it's like yay. And you're, my goal you're kind is, of like you're Marie Kondoing your collection. You're, I, I'm pretty you're, much looking for what sparks joy in the garden. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Which it's, is funny because I asked myself that years ago when I was cleaning out a lot of stuff in the house, and I thought, boy, it'd be a very interesting process to do with your trees to see which trees feel good because a lot of your favorite yeah. trees are often the ones with health problems or they're a hassle to work on. But sure. you love them anyway. And so it's, it's a fun, uh, fun puzzle to figure out. Yeah, that brings up, you know, an interesting point. Do we work? There's there's two different approaches that you could take when working on a collection. You could work on your worst trees first um, with the hopes and maybe the logic of they hopefully get caught up to be, you know, not the worst trees anymore. Mm -hmm. But I found most people who have success in shows and having nice collections and whatnot, they always start from the top and work down. Yeah. Um, and I, that's, that's how I've been working. And it's, I don't know. I like, I like that, that method a lot more. I can't um, say anything bad about that. I think for many years, I was running the garden aspirationally rather than practically, meaning I'm very happy with all the trees I have in the garden. I am no, I have nowhere near the time 
that it would take to get those trees where I want. And I think what had been changing really ever since I started the construction project six, seven months ago is I was realizing that you can only tread water for so long with trees. If you go too long without thinning and wiring trees, <laughs> the branches yeah. develop into far less pleasant forms. And I want to not continue going down that path. So it's kind of, it feels like more of a make or break time for a lot of trees. It's like, okay, yeah, the cart is up on two wheels. It's either going to go totally off the rails and maybe off a cliff, or we're going to get it back. So all four wheels are on the ground and we can roll out from there. Yeah. Now, have yeah, I, fun. the bigger question is have I actually made time for trees yet? A little <laughs> bit, but I will say the one pine I pulled out off the shelf to start working on is one of my, the better pines in the garden. So I am starting okay. Okay. on that hypothesis. Yeah. Yeah. Great. I've been doing a lot of, uh, work here. Uh, the, the nice thing about living in Portland is that because we're so mild, we don't, I mean, we, we do have a little cold stretch right now, but typically we're, we're a pretty mild climate that we can typically work on deciduous trees all, all throughout the winter time oh, great. Uh, and, and do some wiring as long as we protect them uh, in the greenhouse, maybe afterwards. Uh, so I've been, I've been, uh, working on this this huge surplus of telperion uh plants that i i got into the garden last year after they had their their tragic fire um, i brought in about maybe 50 60 trees from them um and a lot of them you know, were, were huge things that i had cut back really hard and kind of let them regrow throughout the growing season and now they're kind of ready for their first um their first kind of structural setting of work um and so i've been working on all of those uh recently i, I do one or two a day um and it's really really cool it's like i f i feel like i'm making a bonsai like yeah. every single day yeah. um and that's been really rewarding it's i'm also taking another approach where i'm i'm doing it more for me i'm not photographing what i'm doing i'm not yeah. documenting it too much even though i should be um from a business sense but uh, it's it's just really nice to just come into the studio, work on a tree, have it be kind of just for me. Uh, and then it goes back out in the garden. Um, I, I've been really enjoying that. It's funny. I feel the exact same way since um, I have been known to document a little bit of my work over the years. Yeah. <laughs> it's nice to just leave. And I, and it's funny, it just keeps getting worse and worse. I spend more and more time doing that, but no, it feels great to just pick something up. You do the work, you put it back on the bench and smile. Yeah. And it's like Sisyphus. You smile on your way down the mountain when you're waiting yep. to start pushing the next one up the hill again. Yeah, yeah. So my one big question for you about doing that work is you've got a lot of large trunks with tons of healthy new shoots on it. And I'm wondering how much are you going to focus on creating indeterminate or yeah, I guess indeterminate structure that branches that are thick enough to help you transition from the large core structure that you're starting with and the fine things you're going to end up with. Because I know a lot of people just like doing that detail work right off the big trunks, but you've got a lot of literally three to four inch trunk and branch. Are you working uh -huh. to, are you looking to build some two inch sections next? I am, but I'm treating them as if they're small things now. Uh, and what oh, I mean by that, what I mean by that is, you know, I, I, first of all, with deciduous, the only thing that I really like to wire is, is growth. that's one year old kind of max yep. from the previous growing season. Anything larger than that is just a risk to wire it. So I like to cut things back in the growing season, let them regrow, and then I wire that regrowth. Uh, and so that's what I'm doing on all these trees. Now, because most of them are just trunks, they, they, they weren't worked very much when they were in the ground. They're, they're almost more Yamadori than they are field grown bonsai. Yeah. Uh, that's how I kind of see them and treat them. Um, I'm, I'm wiring a lot of structure right now that's, you know, the size of a pencil or smaller. 
Um, but I fully expect that to grow to be, you know, thumb size or, or thicker so that I build some nice transition off the trunk. So the plan is I'm, I'm, I'm wiring a lot of structure right now. I'm going to let the plants run for a few years so that structure can right. really thicken up. And then I'm probably going to do a similar process um, again in a couple of years. Great. Uh, that's something I've not seen much of. A lot of people feel that when they buy a trunk, that the development work is done and they can immediately switch gears to refinement. But when you don't have that primary structure and it's not going to be there accidentally, like that's just nature is not going to yeah. do that wherever you get the tree. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, the, the work that's been really inspiring to me lately is the work that comes out of Croatia because yeah. um, the, from Maria Haddock and, and um, the, the person who runs and bonsai um, both of those uh, artists, um, they, they've been working on horn beams and you can see that, you know, they're, they're as rough as mine look when I dug them from Telperion. Um, and you can kind of, they, they did a good job documenting um, the, the, the progress and you can see, oh, this is what it looked like when they first wired those little tiny things. Five years later, those little tiny things have a lot more structure. So it's cool to kind of see a roadmap that's already kind of laid out. It's um, hugely inspirational for me because I, I guess I really, I'm not as much a fan of going from huge things to little tiny things. When people take the time to develop that core structure of the tree, that's what we grow bonsai for. And it takes a little bit of discipline to let something look rangy for a few years. But I think yeah. her trees are a fantastic example of that because you can go back to those older photos and see, oh, this is what they started with. And this is how they got to something that's definitely more complete. And I think the more we can kind of show that process or give people tangible, you know, object lessons and how that can work, that the more we'll start seeing of that. Yeah, you know, that's my biggest, one of my biggest complaints with most deciduous bonsai that I see is that you have a big trunk and then you have little tiny things coming off um, of that. And there's no transition in taper from trunk right. to primary branch to secondary branch, to tertiary branch to all the way to the fine twigs. Um, and, and I see so many bonsai like that. And, and uh, with these, I'm being really intentional about, you know, I did this big cutback. I'm wiring some structure. Okay, now the structure needs to transition a little bit. Otherwise, it looks unnatural, yeah. right? You also said something in there that actually triggered a thought I hadn't had, which makes me feel silly for not thinking of this sooner. But you mentioned, I'm treating the Telperian trees like collected trees. And yeah. that brings up an interesting topic. So in general, what do we appreciate about pines, the bark? What do we appreciate about junipers, twisting movement in deadwood? And we forgive a lot of what we might call, in quotes, flaws, if the trees have these spectacular characteristics. Now, we don't tend to see that same forgiveness of basic core features in deciduous trees, but because most of the deciduous trees we see in Japan are air layers or have been cultivated from scratch over just you know, 40, 50 years in many cases for the great trees, I wonder, is there room for thinking of deciduous trees wherever they came from as collected to the degree that we're going to forgive really obvious flaws, no taper, angular branches, super awkward shapes and forms because they have other characteristics and those characteristics really can only be bark and sheer size. And so I never thought of that. When do we, 
is, are we opening up the door for kind of a new world of or a new aesthetic for deciduous trees that's much more forgiving? I, th I think we are. And I think actually a lot of that credit goes to Walter Paul and, and his students in Croatia who have kind of said, you know what, this isn't a perfect scarless trunk, um, but it's an unusual one. And it's one that really stands out. It's it's one that you would remember. Um, it's it's something that's not um, it's it's atypical of what we usually see and that's you know if we think about japanese bonsai the one the, the trees that get named are the yamadori that have these crazy forms that look unlike anything else uh, and if you don't really see a lot of named japanese maples or beech or something like that because a lot of them look like the next ones uh, and that's fine that's impressive that's hard work to be able to achieve but i think the interesting thing about the work that's being done in croatia right now with the hornbeams uh, with some other native prunus species uh, with pistache and, and other plants is that they do even though they're deciduous or broadleaf plants they, they are taking on that individuality that that conifer yamadori typically have uh, at least the best ones and, yeah, and right. so um and so i think that's been really inspiring you know um five years ago i'm not sure i would have been impressed with a lot of those trees but as i do deciduous bonsai more and more i like the the trees that are I like the contrast that the more gnarly um, Yamadori feeling trees give to the more perfect pot grown trees. Um, I, I like that contrast. I have both in my garden and I, I think there's a, definitely a place for both. I was just thinking I'd love to see a slideshow that you put together where you take some of these, whether Japanese or European deciduous trees that are full, rich, wonderful examples and then maybe draw in dotted lines where here were the original cuts where there was an original big branch and then draw in the squiggles and just kind of overlay here's what this tree looked like after its first wiring and here's what it looks like now just as kind of a visual cue for people to start thinking through how do you get from a to z yeah yeah that's that's actually one of my goals for next month is is to bring if if i have the energy for it bring every single tree that i have and against a white wall and photograph it nice. so i can start getting kind of yearly report cards on, on some of these trees um i probably should have done that when i dug these out of the field and they were you know 12 feet tall something like that before i did the hard cut back but uh i, I think it's helpful just for as people. important yeah i think this is a perfect yeah. spot because you want to get a baseline and i forgive that first year because the job was getting them a out of the ground and be healthy pretty much and so now you've got yeah. roots they're growing and so now we'll hold the work against you you know <laughs> okay good yeah Meaning i'll, we'll I'll do everything I'll, I'll do i'll try and do everything that i've been excited about not doing which is documenting the work <laughs> for uh for people to see but like you say you know you've, you've got a little bit of time to do that yeah yeah no it'll but, be uh, fun but yeah and, and so i I'm, I'm excited to see where a lot of these trees go um i something I'm looking forward to this year is I'm doing a lot of repotting, uh, which is why I came down to see you to, to, to round up some soil and some supplies. Um, and, uh, yeah, I'll, I have a lot of things going into pots that are in, uh, big plastic pots right now. And uh, so yeah. to, to be able to, you know, take something, wire it up, put it into a big plastic or put it into a nice bonsai pot. I'm getting a lot of pots from now, Tokotake, um, which I'm excited about. I, I, I think it's going to be fun to see, you know, actual bonsai being created here, which is, which is fun. It makes the garden look so much better. Yeah. Yeah. So and what's, what's your help you keep the foot on the brake a little bit, which will be nice. And you won't have ideally as crazy growth. Yeah. Yeah. 
which which you know it's it, that's you know I, I do advocate for boxes and, and Anderson flats and whatnot for a lot of people. But if you come to my yard, you see a lot of things in pots. One, because it looks nice, but two, because it, it slows things down, which is when you have 250 trees, it's it's uh, it's nice that they're not all not at full speed. Do you have any trees that, uh, how many long-term projects do you have in the garden right now? Like young things that you're developing? I have, you know, I would call a lot of these Telperion trees that I have long-term projects, even though they'll, they'll start to look nice in five or 10 years. Meaning, do you but, have any uh, trees on the property where you're still thickening trunks? You're still growing trunks? Not many. Um, I thought you had I, a I'm, handful, like literally a handful, maybe. I, I have a handful. Um, I have some chochabai that are starting to develop some structure, things that I've grown from cuttings. Uh -huh. I have, uh, I'm developing some shoheen right now. Um, because I, I'm, I'm so passionate about big trees that I've been kind of neglecting uh, smaller trees in the collection. Uh, and rather than buy those, I've, I've decided just to grow them since it, since it doesn't take as long. Nice. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I have a few things, but I, I'm trying to phase out a lot of that work um, so that when people come here, they see mostly at, le at least a trunk. Exactly. And, I, and that's kind of why I brought it up is to kind of point out that you're going to be kind of the perfect baseline starting point for what this kind of work looks like. Oh, you're starting with this shape, with that form, with this shape, with that form. Here's how you proceed from there. Cause we haven't seen a lot of that over the years, particularly with deciduous trees. There have always been a handful of people that have taken an absurd long time doing that work. But I think with as much as you have, we're going to have all kinds of examples of those stages. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm really aiming for the garden to be like a deciduous playground for people so they can see these crazy, unique Yamadori looking deciduous trees like they see from Croatia online. They can see imported Japanese trees. They can see trees that have been grown in a seedling versus field grown versus, you know, whatever um, in all different forms. Some that look like bonsai, some that actually look like trees. So I, I'm trying to build a very broad uh, collection one because that's what I like, but but two so people can get a a good feel for a lot of the different options out there. And in terms of your relationship with these trees, are there any trees you feel like you're developing just for the point of selling, or are you developing all of them as members of your collection, and the future will bring what it brings? Uh, all of them for members of my collection. Yeah, uh -huh. my 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 business portfolio does not really include tree selling. Um, I, I'll do it for clients and whatnot. And, you know, sometimes, you know, I have a tree that's not exciting anymore, like, like most of us, and I'll, I'll pass that along, but, um, I, so don't know. I, I, I don't take much enjoyment out of that. Yeah. And that's another reason I want to bring that up. It's an interesting way to think about it, especially as you are going to have people coming through your garden for classes and whatnot. And so 10 years from now, do you think you'll have 80% of these trees on site? 70%, 90%, what do you think? I, th I think that the trees that I have here right now, I think a good 80% of them will still be here in 30 years. 30 years, that's a, we'll, yeah. we'll, 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 yeah. uh, we'll have to update. We'll, we'll reassess, but. Uh, I don't know what the new podcast technology will be 30 years from now, but we'll have to, we'll, we'll provide an yeah. update for that. That'll be awesome. Yeah. yeah, it'll be like virtual or something, but. Uh, exactly. Yeah. What, what about you? What do you like looking at your collection? What do you think is, is long-term? What are you going to have in the next 10 years? What percentage of your trees? Well, so that gets back to the whole transition and what, where I guess I that's kind of hard to answer. From, right yeah. Now. Cause I'm in the middle of kind of deciding where I'd like to land in terms of what percentage of the current garden do I think I'll have even 10 years out? 
pretty small percentage. Uh, actually, the two of us walked through the garden recently and what did we identify at most 50 trees that would stay in the collection? Mm -hmm. Maybe 20 pines and a mix of 30 other trees or something like yeah, that, give or yeah. take. And so, and even of those, I'd only imagine hanging on to maybe 25 to 35 of those that I'd expect to hang on to. Probably some of the young trees I will have developed into something by then. And I assume that I'd want to hang on to at least a handful of those. But I'm guessing that I haven't really set a target for what the portfolio, you could say, will be yeah. 10 years from now. But I'd guess a considerable chunk might not be in the garden yet. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. When I think yeah, for... of just where the good trees come from, they're often in private collections or trees that move around. And then yeah. I just have happen to have a disproportionate number of trees that I've developed over very long periods of time, whether from scratch or from trunks that I bought 15, 25 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, I, you know, the Artisan's Cup was really interesting for me because that was the show that... Um, kind of made me take a hard look at my collection. Uh, yeah. I wasn't a multi-professional then. Um, I was, um, I don't even think I had any trees worth showing uh, at that point in time. That was before my apprenticeship with Michael. But when I went to the Artisan's Cup, I said, you know, I don't have any trees that can be in the show. And what would, what would a collection look like where every single tree in the collection could get into a show? Like, what if that was the bar? Right. Um, and so that's kind of been my mindset um, ever since then, is if I'm going to buy something, it has to have that type of long-term significance. Um, now, I've gotten batches of young trees here and there just to have species that I don't have or have things for students or whatnot. But uh, mostly when I'm, I'm purchasing, purchasing trees, that's, that's, that's the baseline, it's, is could it get into the, you know, the best venues for, for bonsai these days? Um, and that's it's it's hard because you you go you look for ten months before you find a tree that you want to buy, um, and it's I'm not sure a sustainable goal, but it's 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 kind of interesting. Um, it is a lot of people ask, well, why do you have this tree? Why do you have that tree? You know, it's got this flaw or that flaw, and I think, well, I've bought the best trees available to me when I had those opportunities, and so yeah. yes, it's a reflection of the kind of characteristics that I look for, but much much more, it's a reflection of just what I found available you know, over being the many years of being a hobbyist in the San Francisco Bay area, you know, whatever's available, that's what you have to choose from. Now, yeah. some people go way more out of their way to actually search out specific species and styles. And, and I haven't done that. Like a lot of people are combing the internet constantly for who has one of these, who has one of those. I mean, people email me all the time looking for specific things. And I say, Ooh, good question. Yeah. Everyone's looking for a small deciduous right now or whatever it happens. To yeah. Me. You almost you can't you can't be specific when you're looking for good trees. You almost just have to have it be as broad as and vague as possible. Like I'm looking for a good tree, and that's it. Because yeah. <laughs> whatever you're you're actually looking for is probably not you're probably going to be a while before you actually find it. So if you that's have fine. if your if your bar is quality versus species or size or something like yep. that, then you I don't know it, it might surprise you. Maybe you're looking for a Japanese maple, and you come across a crepe myrtle that yeah. is just ridiculous and um you kind of just have to go with what's in front of you so that's a good point yeah it's funny how that works when you set a target of what would it look like or what would the whole journey look like to have a garden where everything could get into an artisan's cup it's actually not that hard to take steps in that direction once you identify that as the goal because then immediately 
you have a reason to just wipe away every single activity that doesn't orient toward that goal. And that's, to me, a very optimistic thing, because if you have the resources, it's a shopping adventure. If you don't have the resources, it's a time adventure. And yeah, and it's it's almost like hunting too. Like it's or, yeah. or if, if you're like antiquing or things like that. I uh, mean, it's the the search for these things because they're you can't just so we're not in Japan. You can't just go to Morimai and right and just like buy one off the <laughs> shelf. Retail, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's you know it's it's kind of like an adventure to find a special tree, and that's I almost enjoy that more than more than anything else. Um, yeah, we talked about that at the U.S. National Show this year, where right off the bat, it's like, okay, everyone wants to get into that vendor area immediately and yeah. find out what is available. We don't care what it looks like now, but at some point between today and the next 10 years from now, it needs to be getting close to a high-quality show tree to become compelling. Yeah. Yeah, and that's the fun thing about Deciduous is, it, and I guess even with conifers too, but... Um, you don't always have to buy something that's ready right now, as long as it has the the bones uh, and the characteristics and features to be be nice in the future. Um, that's right. I know some people that do that by species too. A lot of people who are interested in collecting specific cultivars, say of Japanese maple, and so if the specific cultivar is important, then your usually your criteria becomes much more generous in terms of your starting points, but because you really want that spring color or that fall color, whatever that leaf characteristic happens to be, or the bark maybe. And yeah. that's why there's a premium often on those cultivars for the people who appreciate those things. Yeah. Fun. Well, what's, what else is planned for 2022? We, we have the bonsai expo, you have uh, construction happening and, and kind of collection revamp going on. I have uh, a, a lot of young trees that are being kind of transformed into bonsai. What, what, what's, what else is on the docket for, for well, next you know, year? I think both of us are looking to change at least slightly our teaching models hmm. in terms of the classes being offered at the garden. And I know you in particular are looking for a radical new direction in terms of the, uh, the course offerings. Yeah, I'm starting my classes next year. They are deciduous classes. So, uh, I mean, it kind of makes sense. My, my garden is 95% deciduous. Uh, and so I, I'm, uh, I'm teaching deciduous classes. If, if you want to learn about maples and see, you know, 30 or 40 or 50 examples of them, uh, if you want to learn beach or anything like that, that's, that's kind of what my, my classes are aimed at. And I have a few different approaches. If you just want to come for a half day and work on your trees, uh, I have that option available. If you want to come do a more kind of intensive type thing, I have that as well. But uh, I, I'm looking forward to, you know, I've been traveling for the last few years and working on other people's gardens, and I, I, I'm still doing that. But it's, it, it'll be nice to have people here in the garden now that I now that I finally have so, have a garden, yeah, have yeah. something for people to come visit and learn and, and see. Are you thinking more curriculum-based classes or more tree-based classes where people bring their trees and that becomes the focus of those multi-day classes? I have two different op two different paths. So it, my my tree-based options are kind of more for local people, more kind of study group kind of things, uh, where people can come. You know, let's let's take this tree and set a goal for it, and and then use the class to help get it towards that goal. Whether it be the Pacific Bonsai Expo or local club show, yep. uh, and then I have you know for people who are you know, wanting to, to, to study on another level, more deeper level, I'm going to have a two day kind of intensive curriculum based class. Uh, and that's, I'm calling that my deciduous concepts class. Uh, and that that's going to be pretty fun. We'll, we'll, we'll dive deep into deciduous and, and the different options that come with that world. I know you have some experience in 
participating in Michael's classes with this, but I'll be really curious what it looks like to have, if every tree in your garden is a collection piece, what it'll be like to have beginner students working on those collection pieces. I'll be really curious how that goes down. Yeah, and not every tree in my garden is, uh, I'll say, like I, ha <laughs> I do have a lot of these Telperion trees, which are pretty rough still. Uh, I have a lot of, you know, trees that I maybe got from, from Brussels, Bonsai, or, or somewhere where I have a nice trunk or a nice Nabari or base or something like that. Um, but we're, we're building the rest off of that. So I, I do have a lot of younger trees. I think I'll always have some just because it's beneficial for students. But uh, yeah, I think it's, I don't know. I, I'm looking, I, I have a few trees that make it on Instagram every now and then, but I have a lot of things that don't, don't make that cut. And uh, th those would be just as fun, if not more for the students. I have no bar whatsoever for what goes on Instagram. <laughs> it's whatever I worked on this week that, that gets yeah. the call. Oh, yeah. Man. But yeah, I think about that when I look at trees in the garden, especially as I've been kind of reducing my collection until I have a little more time for it. I keep thinking, it's really hard for me to want to sell a tree that is such a perfect tree for learning on. I think that's the kind of tree yeah. you want to learn to wire. It has the right structure. That's the tree you want to learn to pluck. That's the tree you want to learn to carve. And that's what I always enjoyed about doing that kind of work as a hobbyist for so many years. And so as I, and I really filled up my garden with a lot of those kinds of projects. And so it, I, it's funny, it's hard for me to let go of trees that just look like such perfect opportunities for learning. Yeah, they, they're not showstoppers but, at all, but they are just yeah. the kind of trees that people should be working with. They're they're fantastic. Yeah. They'll be good trees in time. They just may yeah. not be the ones you uh, enter in that regional show, for instance. Yeah, you know, you you mentioned uh, when I was at Michael's that I think the the biggest thing I, I learned from watching Michael's and and kind of participating, uh, being an apprentice through his his classes. Um, was the the consistency that the fact that the, the trees in his garden you know Michael doesn't really sell trees very much um, when, when you were in his garden 10 years ago and you go in his garden today you're going to see the same batch of trees there um, and so for people who come back um, you know I think that that consistency is really nice because it it allows people to say oh you know I decandled that tree two years ago wow it's you know further along the process now or uh, or maybe it you know maybe it has this issue and it's being revamped in a box or something like that and so it's I, I like that consistency of classes when you're in a garden where the trees are changed out very very frequently you don't get that that kind of foundation and, and I don't know you're always working on new things and you never really see what the old things are that you've done yeah, it's really interesting. In a lot of ways, professional gardens are like hobbyist gardens in that over the course of one's life, you get to kind of choose what your contribution or relationship with bonsai happens to be, whether you take one batch of trees and push that through time and you just try to be really happy with how the trees look on the latter half of that journey. Or you, like you say, you travel all the time, you touch as many different trees as possible. And so you're lifting up everything a little bit but you may not have it in the form of a portfolio like Michael does in his garden. And they're all great contributions. And I'm actually hoping we get more and more people that can make every one of those kinds of contributions. But it's a big choice that you have just now starting out in this direction and seeing all those options. You're like, nope, collection front and center right here. Let's start moving yeah. these guys along. 
Yeah, and it's it, you know it's probably not the best business plan, but it's always been my <laughs> my personal goal was you know to focus on the collect ever since the Artisans Cup really that was really? the the pivot for me because you know I've been to U.S. national shows and and the the bar there is a little different not that there aren't nice trees yeah. there but being around the Artisans Cup it was you know here's here's the best quality that we can you know rope up yeah um, and and that it was it was really special to be around a room like that. I was, it, it made me think a lot, what would a collection of these trees look like? And, you know, that's, that's what I want. That, that yeah. became my goal since then. Yeah. What's neat about the national show is it's several things at once, but a big part of it is look at the breadth of what we're growing in America. And that is such a great way to call attention to the diverse climates that people have trees growing in. And so yeah. we get tropicals, we get temperate things, we get desert things we get uh just such a fun mix it really feels like a national event to me um and we're seeing the best quality across many different swaths of these different kinds of trees where when you narrow the focus more to like the cup did to wow based on the people that want to play what's the best that we can do what does that look like you know mm -hmm. and we've actually talked about that kind of thing a lot for the expo coming up this fall is do we want it to be the absolute best trees possible or do we want to ensure that there's some level of diversity of species and styles and sizes and it's a really interesting at least i find it a really interesting question a lot of people come down most people i've talked to are just adamant no only accept the best trees i don't care if every single one is the exact same size species and style and i think that's great, but I don't know that that'd be my favorite show. And so what's fun yeah. is we're actually leaving this to the jurors in this case. And we'll say pretty much, give us the show that you want to see. I would love it if there's diversity. I would love it if we have the highest possible quality available, but maybe balance that the way you personally as a juror would wanna balance that. And um, I'm just curious to find out how that goes down. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm really excited. I'm I have it on my calendar for next month to start photographing some trees for submissions. So uh, I have it on my calendar to make a submission system that works. <laughs> <laughs> great, great. Hopefully, we'll we'll come up with something. <laughs> but, yeah, exactly. But yeah, we're getting yeah. actually pretty close. We've answered most of the questions about. Uh, it's just down to nitpicky details. What yeah. specifically do we want to see in the photos? What size will they be? Just dumb stuff like that. But I yeah. think I think the basics are all in place now. Yeah, uh, you know, other than my personal things that I have going on here in the garden with classes and, and collection and, and stuff like that and working with clients, you know, the expo is by far my the, the big thing I'm I'm looking forward to. It's I, I, I don't know. I think it's going to be really, really special. So you're starting to get questions from people up your way. Yeah. And I'm starting to um, I keep sharing it with people, too, because I, you know, I, I want I want people to be there because it's whenever people, someone puts on puts puts all this work into a bones eye show, it ends up being pretty special. And, you know, I don't know. I just okay. I, I think it's I don't know. I think it's going to be a really great event. So I, I want just, as many people there as possible. And it looks like we'll be able to accommodate that, which is very exciting. We recently came up with a draft of the floor plan for the event. And it looks like we'll be able to accommodate a lot of visitors. And I'm really, really excited about that. What is, so, so give us like a quick recap. I know we've talked about this in other episodes, but there's going to be about 70 ish trees. Is that right? Yeah. It looks like 70, 75, somewhere in that neighborhood, uh, six to eight foot displays. And then like a ton of vendor tables too, right? Uh, not a ton. It's about, it's a similar number. I think it's between 70 and 80 vendor tables right now. Okay. That's still great. 
Yeah. Um, and you think what about, about like a thousand people at the event? Yeah. I, like I mean, in terms of what fits, it looks like we can have up to a thousand people and maybe even more than that within the event. So that just That's tells awesome. me that everything's open. Now we need to finalize that with the uh, fire department apparently before we can move forward with those plans. But in terms of the calculations for how they come up with those numbers, uh, it's looking really good right now. So, you know, knock on wood, we will, uh, where it, yeah. it, the plan we have in place is, uh, we're feeling really good about it. Great. Well, it's going to be, a, it's going to be a fun year. I, I, 2022, I think is, is going to be a special year for bonsai. Uh, there's, yeah, there's just, a lot happening with a lot of different people. And I, you know, I think it's, it's, it's exciting to watch the community keeps growing. It's, it's, it's not stopping, which is fun. Yeah. And uh, one way I think of 22 is how I think of 2021. And I feel a lot better about the health of my trees today than I probably did a year ago. I don't know that I had any specific concerns last year, but just when I look around the garden, I feel that I've had enough of the trees long enough now that enough of them are in good soil, enough of them, I kind of know where they are, what the path is. And um, even though we did not anywhere near have the weather we were hoping for this year. It was uh, yeah. one of the coolest springs and summers we ever, it was a mild fall, very cool spring and summer. So we just didn't get anywhere near the growth we wanted right in my exact microclimate. But overall the health of the trees uh, makes me feel great going into the new year. That's why I'm so anxious now. It's like, okay, get out in the garden, pick up a pair of tweezers and just start on one end and yeah. finish at the other. Yeah, and I, I think that's going to make the expo more special because the, the last couple of years of the pandemic, we've all been home. We've been working on our trees more. Our, our trees are getting better. Their health is getting better. Our collections are getting better. I, I think people are going to have a lot to share next year at the expo. Yeah, which the is first show in the Bay Area is coming up in two weeks, and people are very excited about it. I'm excited about it. So it's uh, people are getting excited, Matt. What's funny is in terms of my own collection – in terms of what I have to show, I'm actually looking forward to our second show already, as silly as that sounds, yeah. but because I've been so busy doing other things, and I know this year is going to be even more so that way, I uh, am literally focused more on getting trees ready for our second show, <laughs> assuming everything actually works and we all survive yeah. next year uh, yeah. to do this and, and have any desire to do it again, but uh, in terms of where the trees are, that's what I'm getting really excited about is actually yeah. down the road. Um, we'll all whip up what I can for this year, but it'll feel a lot better to have more things on track, which yeah. feeds into why I'm looking to reduce my collection so radically. Until all the trees are on that track, it just won't feel as good as when they are all going the right yeah. way. Well, I, I know you're going to make a lot of people happy because the demand for, for trees has never been higher than it is right now. And so... Uh, we we need more good trees out there so i'm sure the things that you're selling are going to be great great homes for people yeah and um, people have been really happy so far i've been happy with every last bit of the process so far so it's been really fun but great. yeah that's the well, main thing if i can get through the year with a, a house you know heat trees some bench yeah. space <laughs> and a show boy that'll be yeah. more than my wildest dreams right now yeah it all sounds like it all reads like a fantasy at this point yeah, but it's going to happen. It'll, it'll be pretty fun. So I I, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. yeah. Good. Well, okay. Thanks for taking the time to chat. Yeah, well, we'll see everybody next time. All right. To everyone listening, have a uh, we're recording this right at the end of the new year. So happy new year to you. Happy new year. See you next year. Bye-bye. The 
The music on today's podcast was brought to you by the fine folks at Blue Dot Sessions. Check them out at www.sessions.blue.